Joining me now on the Green Light Pod, I am excited to uh, to have my former teammate, one of my favorite former teammates, Marilyn Terrapin. Although I hate to say it, uh, <laughs> and longtime NFL wide receiver, two-time Super Bowl champion, Tory Smith. Tory, how you doing, bro? Doing good, bro. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Retirement's uh, suiting you good. Awesome, man. You told me about it, and I had to come on to see for myself. <laughs> it's pretty relaxing. You look more relaxed. Uh, everyone's saying that, man. Just like the edge is off, and it's crazy because I never even realized it. That's the thing. Like when you're in it, you don't realize. It. I've had a lot of these conversations the past few weeks. I've had an epiphany, so to speak. It took me the entire fall getting through this media stuff to have some like downtime to think. And I'm like, for years, I didn't realize I was on edge all the time because that's just the way you are. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's something. It's an adjustment for that too. It's, I'm like, what do you mean on edge? Like, what do you, what do you mean there's yeah. a difference? What's yeah, and wrong? there you are. You're being on edge. Like, <laughs> when somebody's right. like, hey, I think you've been on edge for 11 years. I'm like, yeah, I'm like confrontational about it. what the fuck do you mean I've been on edge? Like, that's that proves the point. So I think both of us can relax now. It's pretty nice. So uh, I know we got Super Bowl week coming up. I want to get you another time on the show to talk about your entire career because you got a lot of your your story is very interesting. And again, one of my favorite teammates of all time. It was almost like sometimes we were in a contest to say, see who could stay in the building longer. Uh, I, it, it'd usually be me walking across the locker room and I'd hear a voice and I think everybody was out of the locker room and I hear, what the fuck are you still doing here? And then, and then likewise, because uh, we were at the facility until like 7 o'clock every night. But um, you actually had your big breakout game uh, against the Rams. I was on the field for that. 2011, you scored uh, touchdowns of 74 yards, 41 yards, and uh, 18 yards, all in one quarter. Rookie was, year. Uh, yeah, you know, that was during the time where, like, if you needed a confidence boost, you just called the Rams. <laughs> Fuck you. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it was huge for me, man. It was my first start. Yeah, um, I remember the ed the edge that I had then. It's just like you know they had drafted me in the second round to be a starter, and I just wasn't ready. They traded for Lee Evans. Lee Evans gets hurt, and so all of us like, oh, <laughs> you're not redshirting, brother. Here you go. Right, and, right. Uh, a big game. Like it was huge for my confidence, and it honestly propelled my career. It was, it was big for my confidence too. Watching our defense get burnt. <laughs> For three touchdowns by a rookie. And I knew who you were because, uh, you know, being an ACC guy and seeing you in Maryland. But uh, that, was a, that, was, that was a downer for us. So, so you mentioned Lee Evans. Um, you know, in 2011, you're, you're in Baltimore. Uh, you know, this is your rookie year, right? And then at the end of the year, was that the year you guys go to the AFC Championship? Yeah, and lose to New England. And lose to New England. There was a, a, you were a, a missed kick away. You were a Lee Evans dropping the end zone away. How hard was it to climb that mountain? Being having been to two Super Bowls, one of them you're a new guy in Philly later, and we'll get to that. But um, in Baltimore, your first year, you're so close, and people talk about that fatigue after long runs. How was it that your team was able to get back up off the mat and then get all the way and win it next year? Yeah, I mean, we had so many veterans that we kind of knew what it took, and we knew like just get to the get your ticket to the dance and you know anything happens and we knew we would end up having to go through Foxborough which a lot of people have had to try to do over the years and it's not an easy task but man, we went into it fully expecting to win we felt like we should have won the year before and we went in even more confident the next year expecting to get it done and you know we had veterans and you know Harbaugh took care of us at the right time and for me I was wet behind the ears the first year you know not really knowing what to expect and I just assumed that we would magically be right back there again right yeah um, and we did and I realized the year after that when we missed the playoffs that it doesn't just happen that easy yeah it's um, not the case when you hear you like <laughs> younger guys 
yeah. that, you know, get to the league and they don't realize, like somebody like me that waited a long time or, you know, you, you go in the league, you're, you're in, a, in a great organization, you've got vets that know how to do it. I think, and my dad used to say this, when he went to the Super Bowl in like 83 or 84, they never got back. And he assumed when he was young that like this is a regularity. But I think a lot of people learned that lesson. Then the next year, it wasn't like you guys were world beaters. Um, I think you were 10 and six, so you were a solid football team. A lot of veteran leadership, but uh, you guys had to fire uh, the OC in like December. Did I did I remember yeah, that right? They fired uh, Cam Cameron, which was a surprise to me. I mean, we had been doing well, um, and we had a terrible game versus the Redskins, and that was the game that RG three got hurt. Yeah. Um, oh, it was, wasn't it? And Kirk Cousins came in and was wheeling and dealing. We just knew when RG three went down, we were going to win this game. Right. We ended up doing nothing. Like we couldn't do a single thing. And they coach shook it up a little bit, and um, we got blew, we got blown out the next week after that. Right, right. <laughs> With Coach Caldwell, and then we kind of heated up and went on our run. But uh, I mean, it it was a crazy year, you know. Like there's so many different changes, and um, ultimately, like I said, we expected to be there. Dude, that's like um, kind of unheard of. When I went back and I was doing some reading about that year, I was like, oh yeah, they did fire that guy, but. You don't hear about that with a team that wins the Super Bowl firing a coordinator during the year. It's almost unprecedented. I mean, it's it's yeah, irregular it anyways to fire a coordinator, period, during the year. Right, especially when you know you're going to make the playoffs. Like, right. We still won our division. So it's right. not like we were a team that was garbage, you know. And I don't know. I've never really asked Harbaugh even listened to his reasoning behind it. But, I mean, we ended up winning. So yeah, uh, I guess it all worked out. <laughs> exactly. It's tough for the guy that, you know, that was there for, you know, basically the whole season because you're talking like week 13 or so. Right, right, right. Happened. It wasn't like, you know, the middle of the season. And was this the year Jacoby Jones caught that uh, the Hail Mary? Uh, I've been Denver. So tell was, me, t- walk me through where you were on the field that moment. Yeah, man, it was so – a lot of people don't know this. I actually said it for the first time last week. We were literally – the drive before, you know how you kind of go back out on the field and it doesn't seem like you have enough time and it almost seems like it feels like it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And literally the drive before that, we had got stopped when we knew we had an opportunity because we didn't think Peyton would go three and out. Yeah. Uh, Chad Bailey tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, man, great game. Like, not in a, not in a like, hater-type way or negative. It was genuine, like, The game's damn. over. Yeah, like, we're getting the ball back. Defense goes, gets the ball back. Um, and we're on the field, and they're playing super soft. Next thing you know, again, they got out. Of, they played cover two, <laughs> and Joe's just like, y'all run. Call four verts. Just run. And he's like, don't be surprised if it comes up outside late. And, uh, man, Jacoby was on the uh, far right side. I was on the left side, and I had a, had a great ticket and seat to see, like, his angle change. Yeah. Uh, the safety's angel. Like, I saw him flattening out. I'm like, man, he's not going to be able to get to this ball. Right. And it goes over his head, and, you know, it was super quiet. And there. you're looking around. You're like, is there a flag or something? Right. And it wasn't. And, you know, to see him catch that, it was crazy, man. So was that as much about the angle as it was about Jacoby in the throw? Bro, the throw was crazy, right? But it's covered, too. Like, the safety, like, you have one job. Yeah. Dude. Like, don't yeah. let the guy get past you. You have was- one job. Yeah, but when you see him just squaring up, like he squared up to, you know, he thought he was going to be able to pick it. Yeah. Just kept floating and carrying it. Like I said, like from my angle, it was a sweet view because I'm looking like, oh, man, like I thought for a second he was going to get to it. Yeah. See him level out, and you're like, man, the ball 
He's not gonna get to it. Dude, it's that's like funny because you you had front row seats and actually you were you weren't just a spectator and one of the biggest plays of those two Super Bowl runs that people forget about. I mean, people don't forget about the Jacoby uh reception against Denver because you needed that to win the game. But in the Eagles run, uh at the end of the first half against Atlanta, tell me what happened. Man, so we run the play. I'm on a little five yard in outside and Foles is throwing the ball to Ertz across the middle, and Neil, I can't think of his first name, the safety for the Falcons, comes flying up. And Is it I'm Keanu Neil? Keanu Neil? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Man, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I had my little route, but I was more so getting in, trying to make a tackle mode because right. it went straight to him. Yeah, dude. It, <laughs> it went straight to him. And he jumps up in the air, the ball bounces off of his knee. And I kind of just drift, and I'm like, man, I can catch this ball. I catch yeah. it, kind of try to run around the side a little bit. But honestly, that was the craziest play I've ever been a part of because literally in your mind, you know when it's going to be just feeling like when it's going to be picked. Yeah. And I'm, all I see is like three potential lead blockers. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, how am I going to stall to get – You think you it could have been a pick six? <laughs> was it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not quite the wedge buster on kickoff. So that's a nine-point swing, right? Because we get points before the half and end up winning the game by less than you know a touchdown. I mean, on right. that Julio Jones drop or the the Mills coverage, whatever in the corner of the end zone. So <laughs> you were a part of two of the biggest plays right there on on two huge Super Bowl runs, and uh, I think I think that's what's funny. It's not just the Super Bowls. There's a couple bumps along the way that if it had gone one way or another, you're not there, and that's football. But you end up in New Orleans that first run with, uh, with Baltimore. Tell me about the lead-up to the game. You've got guys like Ed Reed, right, who have been waiting their whole career, Hall of Famers, legends, Haloti Nada, right, uh, don't have rings yet. You know, are, are there guys you're pulling for to get those rings more than others? Was there that sense that we've got to do this now for the older guys? Or what was the mindset of that team? It was that sense. You know, if you remember, Ray Lewis that came back from that torn tricep, we all knew he was going to retire. So, you know, it's like, man, you want to try to send him out the right way. But then you think about Ed Reed, who's never been in that position, and all of a sudden he's playing in his hometown right. for the Super Bowl. And like you said, you spoke on Haloti. Um, a lot of legends on that team, older guys on that team, you know, Suggs, whoever, you know, who weren't a part of that first one. It's like, man, you, you wanted to do it for each other. And it was a crazy year. Um, and to see the way it ended down there in dramatic fashion, um, I still think it's a conspiracy, but I'm going to hold that thought when it comes to that power going out. But yeah, talk, talk 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 to me about that theory, and then what happened? Like, was the first thought like, "Is this shit? Is shit fucked up right now? Is this terrorism? <laughs> is this like a power <laughs> outage? Is it like <laughs> the terrorism piece?" Because like that shows how naive we are in America. They like if people overseas thought it was a terrorist attack. We're right. just like What's going on with the lights. <laughs> you didn't think anything was like I would have been thinking first things first. Like we're fucked. The lights just went out at the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we thought, like, because you can still kind of see them. Like, well, we're going to play with dim lights or something. Like, I don't know. Um, but my thoughts were just like, all right, I know we got to wait at least 20 minutes for it to cut back on. And, you know, it took a little bit, of, a little while for them to get it figured out. Um, and we were hot, you know, at that point. Like, it felt like this game was going to be a blowout. And then we come out afterwards. I remember Ray Rice fumbling. And then 
the 49ers going on a run and you want to talk about the energy leaving like they took everything out and it was a fight and a battle to try to finish that game off man but I think Jacoby says it best when it comes to the game like when it felt like a blowout all of a sudden the power goes out right and they're blaming Beyonce or whatever the power's never gone out in the Superdome and on top of that it didn't even go out when Katrina was there. And it goes out during our football game <laughs> with a blowout. It's like, come on, dude. You've been watching too many YouTube videos. I, I, there's been Super Bowl blowouts before. Why did they want you guys to lose so bad? You know how it is when you're on the other side, man. People just hating. Man. They're hating? They just they chose hate. the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens to hate. They could have turned the power out of Joe Robbie Stadium when the Niners beat the shit out of the Chargers or the Bears yeah. were beating up the, the you know, back in the 80s and beating up the Patriots like – I feel like uh, you, you got to give me more for it to be a conspiracy theory. It has to be, man. If the power in the Superdome didn't go out during Katrina, yeah. <laughs> when endless lives were lost, yes. and it goes out with Beyonce and she gets the blame, come on now, stop it. Okay, all right. Well, it was 28 to 6 at that point, yeah? <laughs> yeah, and it felt like it was going to be a 35-minute delay. What are you guys doing? First off, it, when the lights turned out, was it was pre-play or was in the middle of a, the start of a play? I can't remember. Um, it was right before the start of a play. Um, Jacoby had ran a kickoff back, and then um, we were getting ready to go out again, and uh, it was 3-0, I believe. How do you – how, uh, how what, what are the guys – because you know guys, are, you go in the locker room, right? No, we stayed in the field. Okay, so so what so what are guys walking around circling each other, talking, just, trying to keep you up? Right, just I remember just like kind of staying loose with Jacoby, like jogging around, like horse playing a little bit, like trying to stay loose. But it took so long, man. You had that long halftime. Yeah, and you have that. It's basically you had two halftime, two Super Bowl halftime. Yeah, like, like a, you're looking at seventy minutes total of bullshit. It was crazy um, to try to stay loose, try to stay focused, and um, the 49ers did a better job than we did coming out after that. So how do you feel when, uh, when, when, you're, when you're watching San Francisco drive at the end of the game and it's coming down to a play and you're helpless and you're on the sideline? It was, it was a, a sick – I get nervous thinking about it to this day like because that play, even though it wasn't catchable, like they could have called P.I. Right. You know, we very easily could have lost that or tried to have a, our own little version of it. But it's even crazier is playing in San Francisco. The special teams coordinator broke down the kickoff return. They had one of their guys block the right person. Ted Ginn would have housed the damn kick. Oh, man. To, and we would have lost that way. Like, right. I get, I'm about to throw up thinking about this. Like, <laughs> bro, it's the craziest thing to kind of see, like, both sides of the fence and – uh, like you know how it is, man. There's nothing like actually being able to win and yeah, celebrate. Because you weren't in San Francisco long after that. I mean, it was only a couple of years later. You were probably still talking to a bunch of guys that you beat in that right. Super Bowl. When Joe Staley. When, yeah, Joe. <laughs> and how about Joe? Like, fast forward to this weekend. He Usually when a guy sees that window open and close and they're a veteran, they're never getting back on, the, on that same team. He saw the window open. He missed the opportunity. They lose as many games as anybody outside Cleveland the last four years, which is astounding. And now they're back in it. It's just insane. So, I mean, so as you're getting ready to play that game, backtracking, you've got Seattle and San Francisco, I believe, were the two teams they had an opportunity to play that year in the Super Bowl. And you, of course, with the Ravens. Was there a team that you're rooting for? Because I tried to explain to people, when you're getting ready to watch 
uh, when you're getting ready to play somebody in the playoffs or the Super Bowl, you're paying attention to what your matchups are. So as a wide out, you're looking at the defensive backfields. Was there any analysis here? You're like, I'd rather see this team or that team? Yeah, to me, it didn't really matter. We felt like we matched up well with both of them. Yeah. Um, we had played uh, the 49ers a year before, and I beat them in a tough game. Um, but for real, it honestly didn't matter who it was. We felt like we were going to win. Right, right, right. Yeah, so so who gives the pregame speech before that game? Uh, Ray Lewis is giving the pregame speech. In the everything. locker room and outside. Everything. He, he's giving the speech when you land in New Orleans. Uh, he's giving you everything. Everything's passionate. Who gave a better pregame speech, Brian Brayman or Ray Lewis? <laughs> uh the amount of spit that's being thrown around out there, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to roll with Ray. I'm going to roll with Ray Lewis still. Raven is the craziest thing. Someone needs to be – the world needs to understand the type of rage that can happen in football. I tried, to, I tried to explain to, uh, to somebody in an interview the other day. They were like, uh, who gave the – because we were talking about who gives pregame speeches. Malcolm would usually talk on the field, and I'd do it in the locker room a lot of times. But if Brayman started yelling, everybody just got the fuck out of the way. And most people have no idea who Brian Brayman is. But if you played with Brian Brayman, you know exactly who Brian Brayman is. And then they asked me the contents of that speech. Do you remember the contents of that speech? Well, I don't know, but I just know it's about <laughs> blood and, and murder <laughs> and like 300 men. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, fast forwarding to the next one, right? So how do you, how do you end up signing with the Eagles of all places? Well, my relationship with Joe Douglas, um, you know, uh, Joe's a guy I've known since I was drafted into Baltimore, and he was right. a, a huge reason as to why I went there. Um, and I really had a really good feeling about it. I remember watching in San Francisco and seeing Carson Wentz. I was like, man, this, this cat's a beast. You know, he's going to be a good one. And the more you start to learn about it, their their talent and their team, you're like, man, they're only a few pieces away, even though the record may – come off a little differently. You know what it's like when you look at a roster, like, man, it's, they're a few pieces away. And I felt like they had the better opportunity. Um, my wife's from outside of Philadelphia and Conchahokan, and it was an opportunity to be close to their family. Um, I literally passed up the opportunity to go back to Baltimore to go to Philadelphia. Right. Um, I just had a really good feeling about it. And the mm-hmm. timing of it, I felt like, you know, they wanted me to be there, so... Um, it, it was uh, I made the right decision. Obviously, it paid off. It's a crapshoot because I was a free agent the same year. And if you don't, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but me and you talked beforehand, Absolutely. and uh, you were like, "You're gonna love Joe Douglas if you get a chance to come up here." Like, you got to talk to him. I was like, "Talk to him for me," because at this time, we weren't on each other's radar, me and the Eagles. But uh, it was like this whole slew of free agents just converged upon Philly, and I got to say. I wasn't going there thinking, hey, we're going to win a Super Bowl. I was going there thinking, this is a team that could make a playoff run. We could, we could slide in and we'll see what happens. But So everybody knows what happened at the quarterback position. You know, Carson gets hurt in the Rams game. Um, Nick, you know, a lot of people forget, Nick took, he had his bad games leading up to the playoffs, you know, whether it was Oakland or, uh, you know, some, some of the games that it took to warm up, including Atlanta, which you talked about, which wasn't a spectacular performance, but eventually we got rolling. And uh, you made one of the biggest, most memorable plays in that playoff run uh, with the flea flicker, right? Down the, down the left sideline against Minnesota. Can you talk me through that play? Hey, you know, the flea flicker, the same play you draw up in the backyard and, and hope that you can run it one day. And, yeah. Uh, that feeling, man, it's, I get goosebumps thinking about that still because it's like, you look at honestly what that sim, like 
what that meant for Philadelphia was that we're going to the Super Bowl. It's yep. kind of like the dagger yep. in a sense. And the, the throw was ridiculous. Um, it was a great feel by Foles because I was actually supposed to run a post. So I was supposed to be across the middle of the field, but I realized the safety was standing in the middle of the field. So why am I going to run my route that way and have him stuck um, on Alshon only? And <laughs> the way it worked out, um, so so crazy. you're telling me you were supposed to run a post there and somehow you decided to run straight and Nick played off Nick, of you. He saw the same thing I saw. You know, you, you're running it. I knew I could catch the guy sleeping outside and we did. And I was like, well, why am I going to run to get covered if I can go vertical and he has the ball in his hands, we can get the timing right, he can make the throw and he threw a dime. Yes, he did. He dropped it right in the bucket. So you're headed to Minneapolis. <laughs> Drum roll, Minneapolis. Uh, you know, your first Super Bowl's in New Orleans. I felt like the Minneapolis Super Bowl, it was like a better fit geographically than anywhere you could be for a young team that didn't have, you know, a ton of playoff and Super Bowl experience. Because what the fuck are you going to do? Like, nothing. Nothing, you, dude. It was probably got, probably burnt more calories walking the Mall of the America. Mall of America. You want to go eat or whatever, it's all right there, but... I mean, it was cold. You go outside, you're like sprinting into your Uber or wherever. Yeah. It was crazy out there. Well, um, you know, you mentioned the Mall of America. I also talk about this often that the entire team was sick that week. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I had a solid cold, which when you're getting ready to play one of the biggest games of your life, you don't want to be sick and you don't want to feel sicker and sicker as it's getting to Friday and Saturday. Did you have the sniffles that week? I was good, man. You were good? I think. My kids had already prepared me the month before I was going through it, so yeah, I, I made out all right. But yeah, like you said, half the team was going through it. Now, do you remember leading up to that game? I don't know if I walked up and asked you, but I was walking around and asking all the offensive players, how many can you score this week? How many can you score this week? Because mm -hmm. I knew we'd play well against the Pats, but you can only contain that group with Gronk and Tom and you know Josh McDaniels drawing up all these plays like – I needed a target in my head, like what we can hold them to. Did you know that uh, y'all were going to, you know, dent a hole in that defense the way you did? Yeah, honestly, we thought their defense was terrible. Like, I thought we were going to score a lot of points. Like, I thought their offense was their saving grace. That's just being completely honest. Um, I thought well, we were going to be able to throw the ball wherever we wanted. Um, it didn't matter if they started their Malcolm Butler or not. We were going to target him. Like, I mean, it's just, I'm just being honest. Like, we didn't fear them at all. Um, we knew we were going to be able to score points. We actually thought y'all were going to shut them down. <laughs> well, you should have talked to me. <laughs> I, I would have told you. Uh, I would have told you. Here's what I would have told you. I think maybe we can hold them about 24 points. That was now they scored one more touchdown th than that. But the, when it got real dicey, is we did a good job in the first half. But after the the half, their adjustments were just so good, and uh, they started getting the ball to Gronk. Um, you know, they, they started uh, they started picking us apart a little bit more, and we couldn't get off the field. And I know you guys were like, hey, just one stop would be terrific here. <laughs> We're trying to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I really thought, like, seriously, when I saw our front seven and our big guys up front, I did not think they could block us. Well, they, well they, did, they chipped out every play. That was the big thing was – they did seven-man the entire game, and they decided that, like, we're not going to let the rush beat us. We're not going to let that NASCAR group, which is what we called it, uh, you know, with Fletch inside, BG inside, me and DB on the outside. We're not going to let those guys beat us. And that wave with, like, Vinny coming in and Bo and our entire group, and they really did a good job of, of limiting our production. 
But that was the big thing when they needed a drive where they couldn't max up and they couldn't, you couldn't chip out and you get guys out in the route fast, they couldn't block us. And that's when BG came up with that big strip sack. Which win was more thrilling to you? Between the two Super Bowls? Yeah, you're a pretty honest guy. I don't think you're going to be political here. Nah, and it's crazy, like, because obviously we're leading up to the Super Bowl, so I've been asked that a lot. And to me, they're, they both, like, I was in two different phases of my life, so they had two different meanings. Yeah. It, which is 100% a political answer, but it's it's, it's No, but it's true, me. though. Like, I mean, like, yeah. It's, when we won my second year, like I said, I was super young. My brother had passed away that year. Like, it was a, a very emotional year for my family, the growth, and I had the opportunity to win in Baltimore. You know, I went to Maryland, so 30 minutes of the road, 40 minutes of the road, and it's like, it was a different situation. I'm celebrating with my family. We had never really been out of Virginia like that. Yeah. So to have everyone down in New Orleans was an experience. And you fast forward to Philadelphia, I'm celebrating on the field after coming off of two rough years in San Francisco, being a part of their first Super Bowl, and... I'm celebrating with my kids now. I have kids, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? Yeah. They were non-existent that first Super Bowl. So to kind of see how life had changed since then, like it was pretty special. So a uh, quick hitter here, or a number of quick hitters here uh, from from your two big games and then the game this week coming up before I let you go. First off, uh, the ring parties, both, both ring parties that you did. Who was the coolest person you met at the ring party? What was the best uh, act that they booked or uh, talent that they booked? Easily the the Eagles, right? It's not even close. Like they had Meek Mill, Rick Ross. Like that was a real life, and that was the whole way. That Dreams and Nightmares song by Meek Mill, like carried the city through the playoffs. And I mean, it's it's tough to compete with that. What do you think when you hear that song now? Same thing I I, I felt when I first heard his album the first time. Like I'm ready to run through a mall, or run yeah. through a wall. Yeah. I said, oh, run through I'm a mall. We did run oh. through a mall. <laughs> You're right. From all of America. But then we ran through a wall. But that was the truth. Like, the Dreams and Nightmares, um, it hit right when I was in St. Louis on, you know, teams that had no Philly ties. And we used to listen to it every, every Sunday before game. But then to be in Philly during that run when that song would come on. I love that, that video pregame before the NFC Championship. I don't know if you remember this video. I've shared it on Twitter sometimes. They play Dreams and Nightmares about 40 minutes before the game. The stadium's full, and I get chills every time watching. Like, nobody was beating us that day. You got them right now. Right now, man. Nobody was beating us. They're just bad. And I'm sitting there trying to calm myself down. Like, if you watch the video, you're sitting right there. I'm just, like, tipping, like, just stay calm. Yes. Stay calm. You're in the video. <laughs> Corey's having a full-out concert. Yes. Bouncing around. Like, Laguerre's going crazy. And I'm like, I try to, like, contain myself pregame. But, like, the energy you could feel, like, it was crazy. Man. Yep. It made the Super Bowl seem like it was, it was cake from an atmosphere standpoint. Do you remember the time when, uh, when we were in the, in, in the walkthrough at, uh, speaking of that stadium in Minneapolis, and we had to, we had to run some fake plays to oh, – 100 uh, people in the field at one time? <laughs> what, to talk me through what you, were, what you were doing offensively there. I walked through before the Super Bowl. We didn't do a single thing, like <laughs> – we were calling plays. We had 20 <laughs> offensive linemen, like six receivers. Just to, now, for the people listening and watching, that's just because of who we're playing and the just track record. Only because of who we're playing. You don't know who has access to what. And 
you know, maybe it was a little extra, but it's better to be safe than sorry. Definitely better to be safe than sorry. Okay, so do you have a favorite ring? I asked you about the ring party out of the two rings aesthetically, the the Ravens ring, uh, you know, from almost a decade ago, and then the Eagles one. Yeah, the Eagles ring for sure. Is it the they gr- put some thought into it? Yeah, like the meaning behind it. I mean, you should feel proud of yourself, man. There's a dog mask. There's a fucking dog mask in there. That's legendary stuff. Right yeah, there. dude. All it took was me and Lane sitting on the training table getting taped <laughs> up to go to practice, you know, with some dumb idea. And who knew what it would ter- turn into? But I like, I do like the Eagles ring. I love my, my New England ring, too, because the 283 uh, diamonds in there for 28 to 3. But the thing weighs my hand down. Eagles one's cool because of the dog mask. Uh, how about one way you would fix the Super Bowl? One adjustment you might make to the Super Bowl from a viewer's perspective or a player's perspective? Uh, short of halftime, man. Yeah, nobody, think, no, no, nobody likes the the halftime show, anyways. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No one really likes it anyways. Like, there's a way to have a solid performance and get people out. But I think it would make their job easier instead of trying to entertain folks forever. But I guess those commercials do make a lot of money, but. I don't know. I'll probably say that. Uh, the biggest adjustment I would make, and you may not agree with this, but the Super Bowl would have one destination only. I, you know, and where would it, and where would it be? New Orleans. Bullshit. You can, okay. You, know. you, can, you can walk everywhere. They have the airport. You got to deal with your little traffic, get yeah. in there, whatever. But, like, it's the perfect location. Okay. Like, I, I have a location. I have a location now. I, I can't stand watching an indoor Super Bowl. I just can't. Like, to me, it takes. I, a, I actually hate the. I'm the opposite. Like, I want to know the best team's gonna win, not the team that played. So you're a fast guy. Team. You're a fast guy. That's yes. why, because you right. want to run as fast as you can. Right. I, first off, the grass is easier on my joints. Uh, I, you know, warm weather spots where you're gonna have a Super Bowl or outside, other than New York, but that experiment is over. It comes down to Miami or L.A. really with uh, with the, in Houston, whatever, but they have an indoor field. I think that every Super Bowl, if you're going to do it in one place, should be at the Rose Bowl. Really? Fuck, fuck the luxury seating. From a viewer's perspective, I want to see that golden hour sunshine. Every time you turn on the Rose Bowl, how does it look? It looks amazing. Yes, that's how the Super Bowl would look if they did. Yeah. What do you think about an international Super Bowl? You think they go international in the next 25, 30 years? It'd sell out. I think sure. I, I think it's gonna happen eventually. Cause eventually the the you know, this whole trend of build a stadium, promise a Super Bowl for building the stadium, uh, that's gonna end because all the thirty two teams are gonna have new stadiums soon and they're gonna have to go somewhere else. So uh, Rio twenty thirty. <laughs> I'd be there as a You yes. and me will be there. Yeah, we'll be down there making money. Um okay, so one hit. This is Sunday Super Bowl. Chiefs, Niners. Uh, if you've been living under a rock, it should be one of the most exciting from the past decade. One hidden key to the game. One hidden key to the game. I think if you're the, I don't even think it's really a hidden key. Like, yeah, you don't need to hide it. You just, you, I think you if need... you're the, I think if you're the Chiefs, you just have to put it all on Jimmy G. Yeah. Like, don't let them run the ball all over you. You know, they did a pretty good job last week with Derrick Henry. Um, but it's a different kind of animal with the way they stretch and the speed they have yeah. um, at the running back position with the 49ers. But I think it makes for a better Super Bowl for all of us if Jimmy, they put it on Jimmy G and, and he goes out there and he delivers because I think he was honestly one of the missing pieces towards 
you know, the the stability of the quarterback position out there. So um, I'm rooting for the 49ers. So I hope he goes out there and he gets it done. But from a strategy perspective, you have to put it on him. You can't let them run the ball and let Kyle do all that the creative things that he does offensively. I think Jimmy gets um, – he's a victim of how – well, one, the stigma of being a backup in New England, which is not a bad thing. You played behind the GOAT. Um, and then also I think the stigma of being a part of an offense that's scheme-driven. I think there's two guys on that offense that would get theirs no matter where they are. And Sanders, you could argue that too. I mean, since he arrived, they've been much better. But he is older. I think there's two guys really that could get buckets anywhere, and that's Debo and uh, Kittle. Now, I think Jimmy gets unfa- yeah, I, I think Jimmy gets unfairly thrown into this thing like he couldn't win anywhere else because Shanahan's so dynamic. Who would you compare Jimmy to, like on a level of quarterbacking around the league? I think he's I think he's a middle tier guy. Yeah, you know I, I think Andy Dalton when Andy Dalton was hot. Yeah, you can win a game with them, but you could also lose a game because of them as well. Right, uh, decision making and all that. But he can all I think he has the ability to take over games, and yeah. I love Andy. Yeah, and I think a lot of people shit on people because you say you know middle tier quarterback. Like there's only twenty good ones in the entire world. There's a perpetual carousel in the bottom 10, and sometimes not even 15 are good. So, you know, I mean, like, there's not a lot of quarterbacks out there. So, you know, good good for a guy who's middle of the pack. I mean, that, that, with a defense like that and, uh, and some weapons like they have, you know, they could go out there and win this thing. To be fair, I think he has the potential to be one of those guys. Like, I've always been a fan of him. I like him. I liked him in New England. When he, he spot started for us in some games where, where Tom was suspended, the win down in Arizona. Uh, you know, the first half of the Miami game before he got his shoulder separated, he was on fire. And you were mm-hmm. like, I see why maybe some people want him to be the, the the succession guy when Tom leaves. But, of course, Tom stuck around a long time. Right. Um, so give me one guy you're rooting for. One guy that you, like, you know, I know you want to see the Niners win, but uh, maybe one guy that you're like, I'd be really happy to see him get a ring. Andy Reid. I know. So, that, so that's the hard part. Yeah, you're rooting for the Niners, but you know how bad Andy wants a ring. Yeah, like you know, I'm, I'm rooting for the Niners because I was the first person kicked out by the new regime. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, there's no hate. Like I just think like what they've been through over the last few years as a fan base, it was miserable. And yeah. I know firsthand, so I'd love for them to win. Um, see Jed York go out there and get one, but Andy Reid, man, he's my favorite coach that I've never played for. Damn, that's a really really interesting point and I think like that's almost universal if you ask guys around the league I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Andy Reid and that includes guys that didn't play for him because they've heard so many good things so I think Andy Reid I would agree with you there uh I would also like to see on the on the on the Niners side Staley get one we mentioned him earlier um you know having it's a joke he's one of my favorite he's like I said man you're my favorite teammate ever he's a great teammate I'm sure great person full of energy and you talking about a guy weathering the storm? You talking about three, four years ago, right when I was there? I thought he might have retired then because of how he was mentally, like the stress of the game, the injury, and all that. To see him fight through, to bring that joy back with yeah. the regime he was happy with. Man, I, I'd love for him to get one. Give me a dark. Give me one. Huh? <laughs> I said, but there could only be one winner. I know so. exactly. Give me a dark horse MVP. George Kittle. <laughs> I don't know if that's a dark horse. I think he's going to go for about 150. I think he's going to go for about 150. 
150, right. 150 and two touchdowns will get you the MVP. You're right. They can. Especially yeah. the way they play. But that's your dark horse MVP. I'm not going to press you and make you give me another one. You know, typically it's going to go to a running back or a quarterback. Here's my dark horse. Honey Badger. Honey Badger on the other side of it is going to have to play out of his mind for Kansas City to play well defensively. He's going to have to be great in coverage on Kittle. He's going to have to be good in the run game. I think like that. I don't know if I like the matchup. I don't, but, I don't like him one-on-one -on -one with Kittle. I don't like the matchup, but I'm saying that if he plays well, if he has a great game, he's going to have a shot at winning the MVP because he's going to have to be the reason they win. Um, okay, so how about a prediction Sunday? Prediction. Putting you on the spot, scoring all. Kansas City, 28-14. Oh, wow. It's not going to be close. Here I was thinking we had this great Super Bowl lined up. Yeah, man. I just, I just think like Kansas City, bro. Like, I, I feel this way about Patrick Mahomes. Like, you know, I, I've always been a guy that whenever I'm not playing the ba the Patriots, I've always kind of picked the team that is playing against Tom Brady. Yes, and I'm wrong like 99 percent of the time. Right, and I get that kind of feel from Patrick Mahomes that like he's that guy. Mm -hmm. So like, even if they're losing, doesn't matter. Like he can go put up 30 that quarter. Like he's gonna do whatever they need to do to get it done. But I, I just I can't bet past the way he's been playing as of late. And, you know, like I know, the hot team wins. No doubt about it. And there's nobody hotter than, you know, now with the Ravens out for a while now and you were at that game, uh, there's no hotter team than Kansas City. They have not lost since that first Tennessee loss. And, you know, even while the Niners had those rough patches and the Niners have had some good draws in the playoffs now. Uh, and so has Mahomes. I mean, he's played two of the bottom five, bottom eight, past defenses and they've lit it up, but they've just been hot and they've gotten the defense just good enough lately. I feel like the, the Chiefs win, but it's only for me because Mahomes is that much better than Jimmy G and that's no disrespect. He's the best on the planet right now. So um, yeah, I hope it's not as lopsided as you say, but I agree with you on the Chiefs. Tori, I will see you in Miami. I appreciate you coming on. One of the best teammates I've ever, uh, I ever had. And uh, a really uh, smart guy. I can't wait to see what you do in the media, too, man. You think you can do some media stuff? Yeah, man. I'm going to go join Chris Long, man. We're gonna Come on, man. Let's go. Let's <laughs> let's take over the world, dude. Come on and, and, and do some chalk stuff. Okay, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bro. Talk to you. See you. Thanks, bro.